be here and have some warmer weather too, being in March and knowing that uh, my kids yesterday were freaking out because we got, I don't know how many of you noticed, but it snowed for like, what, six minutes or something? It was so weird. <laughs> But um, it was one of the neat things about it was the kids, like Haven was the first one to notice. She was looked out the window. She goes, it's snowing. And I was like, whatever. Because she, you know, she's six. And uh, I thought it was like imaginary play. And she like bolts for the, the front closet. And she starts like putting on her coat and her snow boots and everything. And I was like, what are you doing? And I look outside. And I was like, oh, it is snowing. It was like little flurries. But the kids went nuts. They went running out the door. If you are my Instagram friend or whatever, like a follower on Instagram, I posted some pictures of them. They were like running through the front yard, like <laughs> screaming it's snowing. And so, but then she decided, Haven decided she didn't have enough winter, like the boots and the hat and everything, like the, the um, what is the thing, the scarf, all of it. So she ran back inside to put more stuff on. And then by the time she came out, it stopped snowing. <laughs> and she was like so mad. She came inside. She was like, but um, I think it, it was just, it was hilarious. But then, you know, like an hour later, the sun's back out and all the snow is gone. That's my kind of snowstorm, though. I'm mentioning that. I want to read, um, if you've been reading in the book along with us, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro actually opens up with a story from uh, Parker Palmer, where uh, it's a story that's in Parker Palmer's book, but I wanted to read it for us this morning because it really helps us engage with the focus for this morning and the understanding as we've been in this journey where it feels like we've kind of been uprooting a lot of stuff, and even some of you have said this to me, like, so what am I supposed to do with this? Like, like I, I, I'm gaining an awareness of, like, maybe unhealthy ways of relating, um, attachments, or, like, growing in differentiation, or recognizing the family of origin that I come from, and I'm starting to discover a lot of things, but now what do I do with it? And um, there's a temptation, especially in our American culture, to just want to move to doing things to help us to get past, like we talked about last Sunday, the grief, the pain, um, the uncomfortableness of those in-between seasons. And so while today we are going to shift more into some more things of doing, my hope is by the end you recognize that the doing only comes out of actually being with God. It's out of the, the time of being in God's presence, and we're going to look at how we start building in some regular rhythms and routines into our daily life and weekly life that will not just give us something to do. It's not another way of like moving into legalism and having heavy expectations and feeling like I can't live up to it, but it's tools that start giving us uh, an ability to grow in awareness of God's presence. I know you've probably heard me say this many times before, but one of the things that we have to, to, to move into as we mature in faith, is not this place of like the separation between, you know, the, the sacred time of like, I go to church to experience God, but moving um, in growing in faith is actually discovering that I am walking in God's presence always, and it's my ability to grow in this awareness of God's presence that's with me. And so some of the rhythms that we're going to talk about today are helping us grow in that awareness of God. But look at this story that um, Schizero quotes in the book. Again, it comes from the book A Hidden Wholeness by Parker Palmer. This is what the book says. Parker Palmer relates this story about farmers in the Midwest who would prepare for blizzards. So not our little mini flurry snowstorm we had yesterday, but for real blizzards. The way they would prepare is by tying a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to ensure they could return safely home. These blizzards came quickly and fiercely and were highly dangerous. When their full force was blowing, a farmer could not see the end of his or her hand. Many froze to death in those blizzards, disoriented by their inability to see. They wandered in circles, lost sometimes in their own backyards. But if they lost their grip on the rope, 
If they lost their grip on the rope, it became impossible for them to find their way home. Some froze within feet of their own door, never realizing how close to safety they were. To this day, in many parts of Canada and the Great Plains, meteorologists counsel people that to avoid getting lost in blinding snow when they venture outside, tie one end of a long rope to their house and grasp the other end firmly. So what's amazing about this, I think, is that um, for many of us, and this is what Scazzaro continues in the book, is uh, many of us have lost our way spiritually in those uh, blinding, wide-out conditions. The, the blizzard's kind of swirling all around us, and when blizzards begin, um, we begin to say, you know, sometimes it's yes to too many things, sometimes it's the demand of work, it's the demand of family, and our lives fall somewhere in between, like, full to just completely, like, overflowing out of control. And um, we are a culture that loves to try to multitask, but in reality, um, when we multitask, there's so much that we're unaware that we're doing. We're in this place of, you know, trying to think about this, that, and that, and what happens is we just become completely overwhelmed. It's like that whiteout snowstorm that just kind of blinds us out. And um, even sometimes as a culture, we um, uphold these people as like heroes and it's virtuous to be able to like be a doer and get out there and hustle and like accomplish and do more and do more and do more. And it feels like, you know, do more things in less amount of time. And yet what happens when our, our life begins to get so chaotic is we can't even see our hand in front of our face, kind of like those blinding whiteouts and snowstorms. Uh, in New England, we get these, you know, they call them snow squalls, and they tell you, like, it's going to happen. It may last for only a few minutes, but it will be blinding whiteout conditions. And I feel like sometimes what happens, especially as we walk in this journey of emotionally healthy spirituality, is that sometimes when we do that going back in order to go forward or, or when we get to the place of knowing that we have to journey through the dark night of the soul, it can feel as though we're in a blinding whiteout storm. And so what we want this morning as we move into this place of finding some daily rhythms um, and weekly rhythm to our life, and we start um, in the next few weeks, there's only three more Sundays after today that um, we begin into the kind of the wrap up and moving into a practice and a rule of life of how do we live as emotionally healthy people, we want to start moving to a place of discovering, you know, what are the ropes that we're tied to, that we're holding on to? And to carry that analogy a little bit further, is the end of that rope actually leading us to home, to that safe place, that place of safety? Or are the ropes that we're holding on to not attached to anything? Or maybe attached to things that are going to lead us into places where we don't want to go? And so um, in all of this, we want to recognize that, again, when we talk about moving into the place of, of finding rhythm and doing, it comes out of this place of first being with God. And that's what um, the bottom line, if you get anything from this morning, it's understanding that your doing, doing for God, doing anything, has to come from a place first of being with God. The very beginning, the first week, um, we put a list of things on the screen. I want to revisit that this morning, that these are uh, kind of signs or um, symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So there's 10 of them. You'll see them five and then the, the remainder part of the list. But just to quickly run back through them, um, some symptoms of un unhealthy emotional, uh, uh, emotionally unhealthy spirituality is, number one, using God to run from God, so using the things of God to actually keep us from engaging with God, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, fear, dying to the wrong things, denying the impact of the past on the present, dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. I already mentioned that this morning. You can go to the next part of the list. Number six, doing for God instead of being with God, spiritualizing away conflict, 
covering for brokenness, weakness, and failure instead of acknowledging it and recognizing that it's there and it exists. Number nine, living without limits. We touched on that last Sunday. And number 10, judging other people's spiritual journey. And if you've been tracking with us in the series, especially that number 10, I think it brings you to a place of recognizing that what place do I stand in to judge other people's spiritual journey when I'm in a place of knowing my desperate need for God? In Ephesians chapter 4, 21 through 24, scripture writer says this, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust, deception. Verse 23, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your whole nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So I think what's so important about this is that we have to recognize, like we've talked about all along in this series, that um, to grow in, in emotional health that's integrated into our spiritual health, it's not just, you know, learning how, you know, to be more mindful or learning how to like just kind of avoid pain or uncomfortable things, but it's actually coming to a place of recognizing that our spirituality is integrated into the whole of who we are. So what happens in our minds? What happens in, in our emotions, in our, in our feelings? What is even happening in our physical body has this impact all around, and it's all integrated into our spirituality. That is the way that God made us and formed us to be. And so all too often, when we start talking about you know, spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices or, or um, faith practices that we, we want to implement or do, it's almost kind of like taking on a New Year's resolution where it's like everybody always has this reservation in the back of their mind of like, oh yeah, I'm starting into this new routine or I'm going to eat less sugar. Or, I'm going to go to the gym however many times a week. And there's always the yeah, but in the back of their mind, right? This is me too. I was joking earlier about for a season of time, um, I was talking with somebody and I was joking about how I um, had given up coffee for Lent. This was a few years back and you know we're in the Lenten season right now. And I said, I'm gonna fast coffee. And I was not a very nice person during that time without coffee. And it's like, okay, I was doing something that was a very noble and spiritual. I was giving up coffee. But something about being without the caffeine, especially for the first few weeks, I was a very angry person, <laughs> not very nice to be around. And I've thought at other times, even... Um, when my doctor said, you're probably drinking too much caffeine, I thought, you know, I should just give it up entirely. But, like, who wants to go without coffee entirely? Except for Courtney. I know Courtney. He's a tea drinker now. He gave up coffee. He abandoned me. I felt betrayed when I found out he doesn't drink coffee anymore. <laughs> but the thing is, is, like, when we when we move into this place of of wanting to experience, you know, some traction under our feet of being able to move forward in our spiritual and emotional health, we can very easily start looking for, well, what can I grab onto to do? But the, the warning in all of that is, is understanding that if we grab onto things to do, even if they feel like really good things, but it's not coming from a place of recognizing that the thing I'm doing, whatever it is, should be leading me closer to God and, and, and bringing me to a mindful place of recognizing God's presence with me, it can still be a rope in a blinding snowstorm that's not actually leading us to home the warmth of God's presence that is um, enveloping us and bringing us home and bringing us into a place of safety. And so when we think about it, um, being in God's presence, this is what's important for us to understand. understand you know, we talk about you know, um, spiritual transformation or a life of transformation. Being in God's presence, like truly being with God and being aware of God's presence is the place where that transformation happens. It's not a place of just willpower alone. 
It's not a place of just trying to break old habits or old patterns and, and doing it by willpower and sure, you know, force of, of I'm going to do this, I'm going to change to be better, but it's actually, uh, you know, all of, yeah, the work, the effort of all of that, but it's being in a place of being with God and being in God's presence. We see in um, contemplative communities, like monastic communities, this um, awareness of God's presence in a, in a daily routine, a daily way of living. If you're reading in the book, you um, know that this chapter is entitled um, uh, Moving into a Place of Having a Daily Office and then also Understanding uh, the Sabbath. And so for us in that, um, there's this uh, experiential wisdom that can be gained from the monastic or contemplative tradition where um, there is a regular rhythm to their day that is meant to put them in a place of being mindful of God's presence that is with them always. Um, there's um, set hour prayer that happens. Um, sometimes um, it's fixed hour prayer, and in some uh, communities and some traditions, it's anywhere from six times or five, six times through the day up to nine times through the day. When I was um, in my senior year of my undergrad, I had an opportunity to do uh, an internship at a uh, monastery that was like just a, um, a several day, not a week long, but a several day experience where I got to go and stay um, at this monastery and experienced um, a community, a monastic community that was actually ones that um, practice fixed hour prayer. And so they balanced back and forth between um, coming together and sitting in silence and, and reading the Psalms or singing the Psalms together. And these are, you know, these are monks, so, you know, in their robes and all of it. Um, if you're a Facebook friend, you can go way back in my Facebook pictures, probably like over 10 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was. Um, and there's some pictures of me from that weekend. And, you know, they're in the, you know, they're monks, they're in the actual robes and all of it, but it was so cool because they would have these times of prayer and then they would come out of that and go right back into work. Part of their practice as um, a monastic community is to be a community of hospitality, so they had a retreat center, but then the way they made money is they made fruitcakes, which are so gross, but that was like their, but apparently they make these fruitcakes that get shipped all over the world. And um, so they have this work that they do, but in the middle of their workday, they will just stop they move back into this chapel space, and they pray together. And it, it happens the first time. It would happen early, early morning hours before I was willing to wake up, like 3-something a.m., and then they had a 6-something, six, six and then another one shortly after that, and then they have breakfast and into the workday, and then they come back mid-morning, and then they pray around lunch. And so there's this rhythm of praying that it's not just coming together and reciting um, prayers together. There is some ritual to it, but what's happening is they're developing a rhythm of life that is constantly putting them back in this awareness of God's presence that is with them always. And now for us, we can look at that and go, I would never be able to do anything like that. That is like so unattainable, and it's not even the extent of what I'm encouraging for us to do. But if you're reading in the book, you recognize, and Scazzaro brings this out, of this, um, the daily office or the rhythm of having set times through the day where we're pausing in our day and we're allowing ourselves to become aware again of God's presence that's with us always. Even the term daily office, um, it differs from a lot of what um, the, the church tradition has developed into like devotional time or like prayer time, because in, in devotional time, like maybe you were raised um, and taught this by, you know, mom, dad, whoever, church leader that was like, oh, you need to have a daily prayer time, a devotional time. In the morning, you get up, you spend time, you know, read the Bible, study the Bible, you know, journal, do all that. In, in having daily office or this routine, this rhythm, it's supposed to be 
different than that. Because again, that moves to a place of like, it's kind of this mentality of getting filled up for the day. So I'm ready to go in or like intercessory prayer on behalf of others. But what's happening in having a regular daily office or this daily routine of prayer is actually not so much about this like returning to God and like trying to get something from God of like, God, you know, fill me up, do this, do this. But it's actually like I've been saying, being in this place of it's being with someone being with God's presence and not moving into that place of, of prayer and with um, withdrawal from whatever the activity is to just kind of do another thing, but it's becoming mindful of God's presence that's with us always. Even the word in that term daily office comes from the Latin word opus, this idea of um, there is a sense of work, but it's not the work of like toiling and laboring, but it's this being with God intentionally. And so what happens in this is um, this has to become personal and it has to be developed in a personal way for you that um, is actually integrated into your life. So there is part of it where it's going to cause some disruption to be in a in a routine of setting some times through the day where you're pausing and becoming mindful of God's presence once again. But in doing that, those, those little disruptions is actually in a place of recognizing the greater covering and presence that you have of God being with you. So yes, you can still have morning devotional time. You can study God's word and do all of that. But what we want to encourage you to do is move to a place where you're having some fixed set times through the day where you're slowing down. And maybe it's just for two minutes that you stop. And I'm going to give you a, just a four simple things that you should try to integrate into that time. But you just stop, you slow down, and it's becoming mindful once again that God is with you. God is near to you, closer than your heart beating or the air you're breathing. God is with you, and you become mindful of that. And this is what becomes transformative because over time, it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, the, it builds up in your system where you start seeing and understanding your day, your work, your time, your relationships differently because you're in this place of constantly being mindful of God's presence all throughout your day. Not just one time in the morning where, oh, I forgot I didn't wake up early enough or oh, I'm just really rushed or today was an unusual day and then you feel guilty about it. But it's being in a habit and a pattern of setting fixed times through the day where you can be mindful and moving into a place of God's presence. So look at, let's look at this, some key elements. And this comes from Scazzaro's writing. So if you have the book, um, you can follow along with this. These are not um, original to me, but I'm just going to quickly give those to us, elaborate on them a little bit, but um, move toward a place of having some application for us as well. But in thinking about this, having a rhythm and a routine to our life where we're implementing a daily office or a, a daily um, pattern of slowing down and spending time with God, key element number one is actually stopping. Stopping. In our routine, in our, in our flow of the day is stopping. More important than even the, the number of times during the day that you're pausing is actually just stopping in your activity to be present with the living God who is already present with you. So it's finding ways of being able to have a set rhythm through the day. Scazzaro gives the example in his book where he, you know, he has a, a morning, you know, kind of, I think, mid-morning, middle of the day, mid-evening, or uh, end of the day. Um, that seems like too much, and I'll be, um, for me, I'll be honest, for me, that's a place of like going, wow, I don't even know, but it's recognizing you don't start by jumping in the deep end of the pool, but maybe it's just you being mindful of the fact that you get a lunch break or you get some time during the day where you get to kind of step away from the computer or take the headset off or step out of the classroom and you have time that's your time. And hopefully it's with some sort of fixed routine, but starting to take those moments through the day where you go, okay, I'm taking a portion of this, this time, my schedule through the day where I'm going to stop running 
and I'm just going to stop. I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to become present to God who is already present with me. And that leads us to the second element of this. So it's a stopping, but it's also um, centering. That's the word that Schizero uses, and it's a familiar word in, um, in spiritual practices, spiritual discipline. But basically, in centering, all we're doing is we're, we're slowing down our mind, our inner world. We're coming to a place where, um, similar to the practice of mindfulness, where there's even just deep breathing, Look, becoming aware of, you know, our own body, the tension of just being at work and like moving and, and constantly going or just the pace of, um, you know, caregiving, you know, to, to children or to other people that we're engaged with in our life. And we just come to a place in the centering where we stop and we slow down, we breathe. Um, some of the steps that uh, Schizero listens or lists out in the book in um, just this place of centering is for us to come to um, place where we're looking for the Holy Spirit to release us from distractions, from tensions, and just to rest in God's loving presence. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Just that stillness. Psalm 37 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So some ways that we can do this if you're a note taker is number one, just in that place of stopping is being attentive and open, sitting still, maybe even having to sit straight up so you don't nod off. But sitting still, breathing slowly, deeply, naturally, closing, closing your eyes and just coming to a place of just calm and centering. Um, but then connected with that, so this is, you know, number one was stopping, number two, centering, but number three is coming to a place of silence, being quiet. Because that's another thing that happens all too often in our culture is we're constantly bombarded by images, noise, sound, people. Kristen and I took the kids out for dinner, and um, we were in a restaurant that was crazy crowded. TVs all around going. People's tables closest to us were even the person behind me. You know, you know what I'm describing. You've experienced this. They're like chairs banging into mine. I'm trying to talk with Kristen and the kids. are trying to have, you know, dinner together, but we're out. And behind us is like a table with kids, and they have the phones but turned up loud. But then also like there was like videos happening of like what they were eating and then like FaceTiming people. I'm like, I don't know. You're just at Chili's. Why is that a big deal to like, you know, Instagram your Chili's dinner, but whatever. But it was like so chaotic. There, and there was like two servers working a small space and they're bumping into each other and leaning over. And at one point, a guy's putting his coat on and hitting me in the head. I'm like, this is so chaotic. And then they have the music going. It's like constantly. But we live in these environments where we've kind of made that normal, right? Maybe even in your own home environment, you are in a place where like there's always music playing or you just kind of come home and boom, the TV goes on and it's just in the background and maybe you don't even, you're not watching it, but it's just on. Or you work in a workspace where there's constant just kind of noise that's going. And not all of that we have control of. Like you can't go into work and be like, I want you all to be silent and we're not listening to music anymore. And if you teach children, or at least you can't make them be quiet. That's just part of the process. And so we can't control everything about our environment, but what we're doing and moving in this place of having a daily office or a daily routine, a set times where we're spending time, where we're, we're stopping, we're becoming centered and like mindful of God's presence that's with us, is also doing it in a place where we can be silent, be silent before God. So many times when we read in scripture, the places where God speaks to somebody is speaking in that still small voice. Being aware of as much as we fear silence, that's the places where we become more and more aware of God's presence. And so there's a fearfulness that even exists in culture of having silence. 
They think, you know, in, in kind of group theory that as Americans, the length of time that we can handle, and we're not going to test this this morning, but the length of time that we can handle being in a group setting with just silence is about 15 seconds. The most that we can handle. That's like the, like that's where the tension resides of like, go beyond 15 seconds and people are like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. And um, because, you know, you hear people sniffling, you hear people around you breathing, you know, your ears start ringing, your mind starts racing to other things. Because in the silence, I think what happens is we become more and more aware of just that chronic buzz that's constantly surrounding us of like the go, go, go. So coming to a place of wanting to have a, a fixed time, a fixed rhythm to our life where we're stopping and we're slowing down is um, having, having this rhythm of daily office is stopping. It's being centered and coming and being still before God. It's finding a place of silence because in silence, and this is what Schizero explains, silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to be able to attend to God, attend to God. So it's that place of slowing down, being silent. And then lastly, um, one thing that can be integrated into this is Scripture. A wonderful starting point um, in, in Scripture in this place of a daily office, daily routine is starting with the Psalms. So again, different than, this isn't Bible study where I go and I'm, I'm reading long passages of Scripture and I'm trying to interpret the meaning and understand the historicity and who is this person and you know why did they say this and, and trying to interpret all of it. But it's coming to a place of almost like meditating on small portions of Scripture. The Psalms are great for this, for taking just a verse or two and reading it and then just being silent with God and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us through Scripture. So again, different than um, you know, deep biblical study is just being with God. A Psalm, think about this. If you were, if you were implementing this routine and whatever your daily you know, life looks like and the chaoticness of all of it, but you're slowing down and maybe you take a portion of time in the morning and something middle of the day and, and a time in the evening where you're slowing down and just spending even just a few minutes with God. But what if you, for a span of days in that, implemented just reflecting on the scripture, Psalm 139, verse 5, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand on me. And you just read that. You read that or you maybe after a few days you have it memorized, and you just read that, and then you just sit in silence with God and allow the Holy Spirit to, to bring that alive in you. Think about how life-giving that is. To take other scriptures that uh, remind us of how, even in the midst of like the, the, the battles that we're fighting, like we're singing this morning, you know, even when we're fighting these battles that God surrounds us, God covers us, there's something about that that, again, starts to transform us. And so the purpose of having this daily office or daily routine is to remember God and to spend time with him all through the day. So it's not just like a thing I do on Sunday morning or a thing I do when I'm feeling like really overwhelmed and I'm going to like try to get up early again and pray and read the Bible every morning, but it's finding a rhythm in our daily life and, and recognizing that, you know, we keep clearly in mind that as we develop structures and habits, we need to do it in ways that fit us. So you don't need to come to me and go, you know, what do you do, Pastor Brad? How, how much time are you spending? And when do you do it? And then try to like model that off of me or Pastor Kristen or what you read in the book. But looking at your life, looking at your weekly routine and say, okay, what can I do to start moving to having intentional time, not just once a day or every other day or when I remember, but moving into something that is healthy, attainable, doable in my regular cycle of, of life and routine. And there's a temptation in all of this to think that if we do more, 
somehow God approves of us, of us more. God loves us more. Somehow we're like more mature that like I've got like, well, I have six times during the day or oh, I, I found a way to every hour I pause for two minutes. And, you know, like it's not about the doing more that somehow moves us into a place of having more approval with God. Because remember, it comes back to not the doing, but it's the being with God. It's a way that out of that, there's transformation that happens because, you know, we've talked about it multiple times, but how to know God, we need to know ourselves. And to know ourselves, we need to know God. And so there's this integrated relationship between us and God that as we spend time purposely throughout the day, there's transformation that's happening in us. So the biggest thing to remember in all of that, on all of this is to remember grace, that there's nothing we can do or not do that would God, cause God to love us any more than he does right now. So the purpose of having a daily office, or we're going to talk about Sabbath in just a moment, is not to, again, try to attain status with God or extra approval or extra dispensation of God's amazing love and grace and kindness. There's nothing that we can do to any greater or less receive that from God. So as we do it, we, we find these rhythms of living out of a desperate place of wanting to be with God and know that his presence transforms us. But there's another area in this like rhythm that we want to talk about, keeping a God rhythm to our life, is not just in a daily way, but it's actually in a, in a weekly pattern. So um, depending on, again, your familiarity with uh, Scripture, you've probably heard the term Sabbath. We live in a community that has um, a high percentage of people that are Jewish and Jew practicing Jews that practice Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Um, and so there is a, a shared history in that for us as, as Christians that um, goes back to the Old Testament and the practices there that um, are part of, yes, the Jewish tradition, but it's not, again, a place of... Um, taking on a ceasing from every activity in like a legalistic or heavy way, but it's recognizing that it's actually tied to the image and the character and the nature of who God is. We go all the way back to the, the very first book of the Bible and the creation narrative that we read, you know, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we see that as um, God moves through the, the different elements, the, the days of creation, there's this place of coming to the end of it all, and all of the, the work and the toil for, you know, six days as the narrative goes that you get to the end, the seventh day, and there's this place where Scripture says, and God rested. And in the resting, and this is what I think is so important for us, is that as um, we recognize it, that there's, a, there's this holy sacredness in the resting and finding that rhythm in our week where, um, you know, God toil created, like this was all happening, and yet there was something to a moment when all of the work had to just stop. You know, we talk about that even in rhythms daily, but in weekly, finding this place of stopping, and in that gives us the ability to look at the rest of it and know that God is good, that even in the resting, it is good. As we see that in the, um, in the earliest books of the Bible in Genesis, in that creation narrative, when, when God gets to the place of resting, he looks at all the rest of it and he says, it is good. Part of what happens for us in, in trying to move to a place of Sabbath keeping is moving against culture. Because again, culture would say work, work hard, work as much as you can, do as much as you can, and then also with that, you know, fit in life and everything else, obligations and, you know, kids' routines and whatever all fits, gets crammed into life, and you just do it and you feel every moment, and then at some point, hopefully through all of that, you find time to sleep, take a multivitamin, and drink some water. 
And, and yet, the way that our very bodies are wired is that, yes, we're made to work, we're made to toil, we're made to do, we need the physical activity, all of that, but we're also made to rest. So the challenge for us, especially when we start talking about um, keeping a Sabbath, is, is finding how do we do that with regular intentional rhythm in a way that is so countercultural. Our culture, like, you know, again, there's no, like, slowing down, stopping, and yet what we see um, in the practice of Scripture and what we see taught in Sabbath keeping is the idea of slowing down and taking a 24-hour period where we just stop and we rest, where we cease from working and we allow ourselves to just rest in God's presence. It's even in the, you know, the Ten Commandments, commandment number four, it's the longest one, too, if you've read the Ten Commandments, is the one describing Sabbath and Sabbath keeping. But it's that important to God and for God's people where it's described and explained, and it's connected to the Jewish people who were people that were in, um, enslaved in Egypt for years and years and years, worked more as machines than actually as being people. And in the constant working, there's never a moment where there's ability to rest, to stop, to slow down. Because that constant going and going actually starts to degrade our own humanity and who we are. And so when God, you know, exiles the, the, the Jewish people out of Egypt, gets them free and out, and he begins to give them instructions on how to live, one of the things he says is, you will not work seven days a week. You've known this, you've done this, but I want you to stop. I want you to slow down and I want you to be in a place where you rest and you recognize that as much as it feels like it all rests on you, in the resting you realize that it actually all rests on me. God's saying that to God's people. And so it's important for us in this God-given rhythm that we're wanting to implement into our life is recognizing the need to have a Sabbath, a time where we slow down for a longer period of time rather than just a few moments during the day, but taking a day where we stop the work, we stop the activity, and we allow God to restore us once again. So let's look at a, just a couple of things, and these again come from Schizero that describes the Sabbath, and then we're going to wrap this up. But um, some, some steps for having Sabbath, number one is again stopping um, that's actually built into the word Sabbath, is this idea of, of stopping. The literal meaning of the, the Hebrew word is to cease, to stop. And um, sometimes we feel like we can't stop until everything is done. But how many of you know everything is never actually done? You can't ever get everything done. Because it's like as soon as you check things off the to-do list, there's more that come in underneath. And so there's at some point where we actually stop and recognize that there's always something more to do, but we have to slow down and embrace our limits. In Sabbath keeping, we're recognizing God-given limits, that God is God. You know, he's the one. He's indispensable. He um, is the one who, who rules and reigns over it all, and we are his. And so the world continues to move and work just fine, even if we slow down and we stop for a day once a week, to slow down. So every Sabbath, it reminds us, like from Psalm 46, to be still and know that he is God. Jesus even talked about this, how um, there's a, a place of stopping, worrying about tomorrow, and being able to live and be present. So as we keep um, a Sabbath, we move into a place of that, we recognize in the stopping, we're recognizing a dependency on God. But in Sabbath, also number two, we rest. When we stop, the Sabbath calls us to rest. God rested after his work. We're called to do the same thing. So sometimes people wonder, like, well, if I stop and I'm resting, what then am I supposed to do? Right? <laughs> I trade the doing all of that for then what do I do? 
And in Sabbath keeping, what happens on the Sabbath is you do whatever delights you, whatever replenishes you. Spending time with others, taking a walk outside, painting, writing, enjoying just a good cup of coffee, and being able to slow down and allow the pace of your life to not be dictated by all of the external, but recognizing that the pace of your life is dictated by God and God alone. So things that you can even consider when um, moving to a place of, of finding Sabbath, that maybe you can't quit everything all at once, you can't cease doing everything all at once. Schizero gives us some of these suggestions for things that we can start implementing even now of taking a day a week and you know for the next couple of months and, and finding a few things that we're finding Sabbath keeping in. So maybe part of it is work. I agree not to work seven days a week. I'm only going to work six. Sometimes um, maybe it's just making a place of we're going to rest from hurriedness, from multitasking, a day a week where we're going to rest from worrying or decision-making, a day a week where we say, you know what, I am not going to run, run, run to try to catch up and finish all the errands and tie up all the loose ends, but I'm going to take a day where I stop and I rest. Maybe it's a day a week in Sabbath keeping where we take a rest from technology, unplug, shut off the phone or the computer or whatever, the TV, and I'm going to rest and have a Sabbath keeping in that. Because the thing is, is when we stop and we rest, we start to respect our own humanity, the image of God that we bear, and recognize that we're not wired and made to be just nonstop going all the time. Number three, um, part of Sabbath keeping is, as I mentioned, it's in delight. We find delight. We find delight, as God did, in saying that it is good. God delights in his creation, and so we, in the same way, can find delight in those times of Sabbath. When we start to create space for God and in slowing down in our schedule, we start to find also delight. It restores joy back to our life. And then number four, I want to wrap this up fairly quickly, is um, that in Sabbath keeping, we also spend time to contemplate God, to reflect on God, the holiness of God pondering the love of God and recognizing that God is so near to us. God is caring for us. I think sometimes in recognizing that, you know, I'm not going to just constantly do seven days a week, but I'm going to take one day, a 24-hour period, and I'm just going to, I'm going to stop. I'm going to cease the activity. It allows us to recognize the goodness and the faithfulness of God, where we feel as though by my doing, I'm making it all happen. Like, Look at me. Look what I can do. But it's actually when we slow down and we stop and we, we feel that sense of like, oh, I, but if I stop, things are going to go undone. We actually see the way that God not only fills in that gap, but God is in every single gap. Where our limits are, where we feel constrained, where we feel like we just can't be enough, we recognize God is there in the midst of all of it. So what does all of this mean? When we talk about, especially in Sabbath keeping, one of the things, you know, started with this imagery of the, the snowstorm, the blizzard, um, and trying to hold tight to a rope that guides us. A lot of times, in, especially in Sabbath keeping, it, it feels like receiving the gift of a snow day. You think about this? Like, if, especially if you've had school-age kids or you have them, or maybe you just work a job where there is a snow day, you get to, like, have this unexpected day where it's like, uh, I don't know what to do, but I really love it. And it's like there's just this space, you know, stores, maybe clothes, you know, the roads are impassable, stay home. And suddenly you have this gift of a day that you get to do whatever you want, right? Now, I will be honest, there's a lot of times when we have snow days where I'm in this place of like, okay, that means here at home, we have a lot of stuff we have to do. So let's get busy and let's go, go, go. But I love like with, especially again, having kids, um, 
that kind of force you to enjoy a snow day and realize, like, this is a gift. And so there's an approach, again, I'm not trying to make, make light of, of Sabbath keeping, but there's an approach to it where you can look at taking this Sabbath day, a day once a week where you slow down, you stop, and receive it as though it's like a gift of a snow day, a gift of a day where you get to say no to things, where the outside world is cut off to you, and you get to slow down and enjoy a no-obligation kind of day. And it may not feel realistic to do that, every single week to have one day a week and to keep this pattern because, yeah, things get scheduled and you can't help when, oh, that wedding got planned or when, you know, this thing happened and those type of things. But when you're in a place of finding a rhythm, you quickly get back into it, even when you've had to step out of it. And so in this, there's this ability to be able to slow down and recognize that as you begin to practice stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating, you know, for a 24-hour period once a week, you soon start moving into a place where it feels like you can get a lot more done in the other parts of the week. And you're not taking a Sabbath so that you can work harder, but you start recognizing the gift of God's presence in all of that and how God is the one who is sustaining you. So I want to start to, to conclude in this place, and we're going to receive communion this morning because I, I can't think of any other better way when we talk about the, the doing for God coming from a place of being with God than to receive communion together as a church and recognizing not only Christ's sacrifice, but as we receive communion, there is this uniting with God once again and realizing the depth of God's love and God's care for us. And so um, I'll go ahead and invite our, our communion service. Yeah, you can start passing communion and we'll take communion together so you can just hold the bread, the cup together, and then I'll lead us through taking that in just a moment. But what can happen when we hear a message like this? Um, we can get stuck in this place of feeling like, you know, that's nice, but I would never be able to do all of that. Or, you know, okay, if I'm going to do it, I've got to form it in like a specific way, a rigid way. And to do it that way, I know that I'll please God and I can make it attainable. And so I just have to shift into like, okay, here's how I'll get my calendar out and I'm going to pencil it in, you know, put that on the, the digital calendar in your phone or whatever. And I'm going to put all of this in. But it all goes back to this place of recognizing that we're wanting to grow in, in spirituality, we want to grow in emotional and mental health. And so as we're growing in those areas, we have to be in this place of finding healthy rhythms in our life that are soul-restoring, that are God-given sustaining for us. And when we're able to embrace even our God-given limits and schedule and ability and all of that, it brings us the, this understanding of realizing just how dependent we truly are on God. And I'll tell you this, when it comes to this concept of a daily office and having, you know, set times through the day where we're spending time in God's presence or, or having a Sabbath once a week, don't do it if you feel like you're doing it only out of a place of obligation. Don't do it. Because it has to come from a place similar to, you know, to getting into a practice of tithing that if you're doing it just purely because you feel obligated, you feel guilty because you feel like it's some sort of like religious obligation that, well, to have God's approval, I have to do these things, then don't do it. Because it comes from a place, it should come from a place where the motivation is, God, I am so thankful and grateful for your eternal, persistent presence in my life. And because of that, I want to spend time with you regularly and often because I realize when I slow down and I become aware of your presence or when I cease my activity in a week and I take a day just to rest on my own with family, with loved ones, and recognize that your presence is right there in the middle of all of it, it transforms me. And that's what I want is to be transformed by you. 
not to have another obligation, not to have another you know, heavy expectation put upon us, but to be in a place of knowing that God is the one who is restoring us. God is the one who is sustaining us, and it comes out of first and foremost being with God. So I know that it can in some ways feel overwhelming or even maybe feels like you just heard a lecture on spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, but the truth is, is that God is with you always. And so why not start to shift the rhythm and the routine of your life to come to a place of being in God's presence with awareness? Even as we've talked about, you know, growing in emotional health, some of the things that we've talked about in that bring up a lot of difficult stuff. Challenging things of like, what do I do with, you know, this brokenness that's in my past or this hurt that I experienced growing up? Or what do I do with, you know, recognizing these limits that I have in my life and I feel like I just have to live within, you know, this season and this time and I can't move beyond that. That's the gift of having a daily office or having Sabbath is, is being in a place where you're, you're spending time in God's presence where maybe, it, you know, God doesn't speak, you know, this is why you experience that pain or this is why that heartache happened. It gives you meaning to it. And yet, but when you're in it and you're regularly spending time with God, there's this transformation where I may not be able to resolve that, but I know that God is good. I know that God's presence is so sweet and God's restoring me and God's giving me strength for today and tomorrow and beyond. And it comes out of this place of being with God. So when we're in that blizzard of life, you know, God is inviting us to grab a hold to that rope that leads us closer and closer to him. And as he's leading us back home, some of the ways that that happens is through this regular rhythm in our daily life, in our weekly life. As we prepare to receive communion this morning, um, one of the things I want us to recognize, and we're going to do this in silence because I went back and forth of like, do we sing a song? Do we have music? And I thought, you know what? Why not silence? (laughs) as challenging as it is. So maybe we will test that 15-second limit. Um, But as we prepare to receive communion this morning, I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable, to just close your eyes and to move into a a space where I know I am talking, but I want your awareness of God's presence to grow and grow. The Holy Spirit's voice may be even speaking to you now, but just being sensitive to that and and realizing that um, even as we take communion, uh, there is this mystery the death and the resurrection of Christ that um, leaves us in this place of wanting to know more and draws us deeper to God and the things of God. I mentioned, you know, we just started into the season of Lent and this preparation for Easter. The Lenten season is a time of um, recognizing pain and sorrow that that Christ experienced and Christ um, identifies with. We talked about this Wednesday night and the, the group that met here Wednesday, how even Jesus' moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was in his place of anguish to the point of death and, and wanting his closest believers, you know, followers, disciples to be with him, to be supporting him, and they're falling asleep. And he's in this place of sorrow and anguish and pain because he knows what's coming next. And even in his prayers is in this place of, you know, asking of God, if there's any way for me to just move on and move past this quickly, Lord, help me to just move past it. And yet what happens is he rests in this place of God, saying to God, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. And so as we prepare to receive communion this morning, I want us to move into that same place of saying, God, not my routine, not my work, not my desperate attempts to, to do enough, be enough, and do more and more, but your will, your will be done. Even in the violent ending of Jesus' life, he's beaten, he's placed on a cross, his body is 
is bruised and broken. His blood poured out. It seems so confusing if you really stop and think about it. And it brings up so many questions for so many people of why this way? Why did that have to happen? And, and in the mystery and the confusing part of all of it, we know that regardless of all the reasons why, out of this moment of deep sorrow and anguish and pain, it was a beginning of us understanding and knowing a God, a Savior, who identifies with our own suffering and pain, our own sorrow. Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in this place of feeling abandoned and hopeless? We have a Savior who identifies with our own feelings in that same way. So this morning as we prepare to receive communion, we do so recognizing that, number one, we're in the presence of God. God's unceasing presence is with us always. And secondly, as we prepare to receive communion this morning, we know that there is such joy when our heart, our soul, our entire being is able to rest in God's presence in peace. Not a place of trying to strive or prove anything to God or anyone else, but just to be with God. And so, Lord, that's our commitment this morning. As we receive these communion elements, it's being united to you once again, that we, your church, belong to you. We place you first before anything else. You are truly Lord over all. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 11. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just as the bread was broken, Christ's body would be broken. And he calls us to a remembrance of him in that brokenness. And then in verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Will you take the bread now? Sit for just a moment, listening to the Holy Spirit. And as we prepare to take the cup, we recognize that it is a, a symbol of promise, agreement, a covenant between God and God's people, that we are not alone that God is with us always. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we receive this cup, we recognize that we are united with Christ and we will live daily in your presence, God. And take the cup together. <clears throat> 